News Talk On Demand. Interruption-free audio, where you want it, when you want it. You're listening to Garden Talk right here on 650-CKOM and 980-CJME. I'm Erin McNutt here with Rick Van Dyvendijk from Dutch Growers. If you have a question or need some tips from Rick, please give us a call at one 332 We'll start off. We had a caller during the break uh, asking a couple questions, Rick, and they're just wondering if you have any recommendations for garden centers in the Prince Albert area. In Prince Albert area, that's a tough one because uh, there was a couple of Johns and Brays, but I think they're they're gone by the wayside now. Mm-hmm. So basically for garden centers there, I think there's some greenhouses there. I don't remember the name of them now, but otherwise... Uh, Basically, you have the Rona there that has, uh, you know, quite a bit of a garden yeah. center area. Uh, the PV Mart usually there has a pretty good garden center shop. Usually, uh, most of them are wrapping up now, right? Yeah. That's the problem is that the chain stores usually wrapping up their their garden centers this time of the year. Uh, probably the Rona would be your best. Or the Canadian Tire actually keeps quite a few plants in Prince Albert right up until later in the season as well. So, um, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's a tough one. Prince Albert is... Uh, is there's not really much there for for a, a garden centers in that area there so yeah depending what you're of, looking for it might be a bit of a bit of an adventure to yep. track stuff down otherwise it's coming into like most people do they come to the Costco run every once in yep. a while they to Saskatoon <laughs> make a couple stops <laughs> make a couple stops right so but otherwise uh, um, but otherwise you can check out some of those other uh, I think the Canadian Tire and the Rona there probably have your biggest selection, I think. Yeah. Um, but there is some local greenhouses too, and uh, you have to check whether they're open because a, a lot of times they're only open, uh, like there is the Clement Farm ones that's usually right on the Highway, highway 2 there. Yeah. Uh, right down by the railway tracks, and uh, but I think they may be still open yet, but a lot of times they're just seasonal. Yeah, it just kind of depends. Uh, but yep. definitely a few places to, to check out. Yep. Okay, we have a couple of texts uh, waiting for us. Uh, this one is a two-parter, so we'll start off with part one. It's from Ed in Saskatoon. Cucumbers are growing well, but they have a bit of a bitter taste. What do you think could be causing that? Uh, bitter taste, a lot of times, has to do with their, their again, nutrients and, in the soil. Okay. And so um, just make sure that you're you're watching your, your pH of your soil and also your nutrients in your soil because that makes a huge difference. Uh, is if uh, even things like potassium, which helps plants take up nutrients better out of the soil. So it's uh, just make sure you have a good, ba- good, a good balanced fertilizer, and it really makes a big difference on on the taste of your plants. It's quite quite amazing, and uh, even putting you know compost in it uh, it changes a lot of times the flavor and if, if you're not using anything, then in places when you're using a lot of water and that kind of stuff to keep your plants growing you will get a lot of times a different taste to it. So okay. make sure you keep up your nutrients. You're doing lots of watering. All right, especially right now with all this heat, people are doing a little oh. bit of extra watering, so you got to give yep. them some some treats too. <laughs> yeah, and then and especially on those kind of cucumbers, that don't, do not water over top of the leaves. Um, oh, okay. Water at the base of the plant because you will get powdery mildew very quickly. And don't water late in the evening because you create that humidity. And the humidity at the evening, you'll get the you'll have you have a chance to get in powdery mildew on pumpkin and cucumbers as well. Okay. So make sure it's early in the evening so that the uh, the moisture can dissipate a little bit and then not have that that problems with uh, powdery mildew. 
All right, perfect. The second part of Ed's question is uh, have some Cracker Jack marigolds that look healthy but aren't blooming. What can we do to help them along? Hmm, they're not blooming. That's that usually means a lot of times they're, they're, you're treating them too well. They need a bit of stress. So, so they need just a little bit of stress. Marigolds will bloom way better if they're under just a little bit of stress. They can take a little more heat, so you might have to watch your the amount of nutrients you're giving it. And uh, if you are going to give it nutrients, put a little bit of higher phosphorus okay. and help them to push bloom. But otherwise, uh, just put them under a little bit of stress and they'll they'll produce a flower for you. All right. Um, this one is, we've been talking a lot about fertilizer and I think we might have uh, inspired a few people because uh, this one uh, just coming in now about uh, the best way and when to add alfalfa pellets to your garden. Does it matter what time of year and should you soak them in five, uh, five gallon or in five gallons of water? Yeah, I, that's what I did all the time in my, in my last acreage when I was pure sand. Okay. I soaked it in a five gallon pail all the time and and I was fertilizing probably with alfalfa pellets about every ten to every ten days at least. Sometimes it was given every seven days, but it was about every ten days. And uh, you can do it all summer long; it's not a problem because uh, uh, you're you're such a low in the alfalfa pellet tea. You're such a low nitrogen that you're not over fertilizing your plants. So, um, uh, but I was like I said, I was in pure sand, so I was watering quite a bit mm-hmm. and leaching all those nutrients out of the soil for quite a bit. So. Um, if you have a good, good topsoil, you probably don't need it. You probably go to every 14 days. It'd be lots, um, but that'd be perfect. Okay. Um, this one is about the smoke that we've been seeing a lot over the last few days with all those, uh, wildfires burning up North. Uh, hi Rick with, uh, smoky skies blocking the sun. Do you think there'll be any adverse effects on plants? That's coming from Donna and Asquith. No, actually some some of the smoke with this extreme heat mm-hmm. is actually a relief <laughs> so yeah it's, it's a bit of a the, block i guess it's a bit of a block right so it just takes that sun out just a little bit so that if it was a clear day and 36 degrees i mean it's really really tough on the plants right so if especially if there's you know to keep them at the right moisture level but um when it's a bit cloudy i mean it we're only getting in for a few days you know and then then it goes away and comes around yeah. so the the plants can 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 go with that not a problem now if we were having smoke haze the whole summer long with no days in between mm-hmm. um, you know like yesterday in the morning the sun was coming from the south right so it's it was fine there's not much smoke and at least in the Saskatoon area yeah but then all of a sudden it switched again switched two times in the last yeah. two days <laughs> from north to south north to south. And it really all depends from, on that wind. Hey, if it's coming from yeah. the north, we seem to be getting yeah. a lot more of that smoke. And then usually I've found the last couple of days anyway in sort of the Saskatoon, central Saskatchewan area. Yeah. Once we get kind of later in the day, wind shifting sort of south or east, all of a sudden it's a little less smoky. Doesn't quite smell like a campfire. We're pretty lucky. I mean, I was yes. talking to my my son the other day and uh, and he said that he has ash that's on his truck every wow. day. Wow. So it's really smoky around the Cologne area. So um, that can be a problem too if you get all this ash landing on your plants. And yeah. You might, you know, have to wash them off. But I mean, up there we're not we're not having that issue here. Uh, maybe farther way up north they are, mm-hmm. but here we're not having that problem with the ash. So uh, fires are a problem um, with this heat all over the place. So it's um, it's quite interesting. 
Yeah, maybe in it might the ash might be more of an issue sort of in that Larange and Stanley Mission area. But uh, so far, fingers crossed, so far so good for uh, a little further south here in uh, yep. sort of Saskatoon, Regina areas are doing okay. Uh, we are going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with more. If you have a question for Rick, please give us a call or text. The phone number is the same, one 332 8255 You're listening to Garden Talk on 650-CKOM and 980-CJME. You're listening to Garden Talk on 650-CKOM and 980-CJME. I'm Erin McNutt here with Rick Van Dyke from Dutch Growers. We're getting lots of texts this morning, but we love to hear your voice too. So if you have a question, you can also give us a call on our on our phone line, 1-877-332-8255. That's the same number you use for the text line as well. Speaking of, we have lots of texts to get to, Rick, so we'll just keep on okay. going. Um, this one, we're, we've, again, been talking about this a little bit uh, today, vegetables. Um, this is from Angela in Regina. Bell pepper plants started from seeds are growing great, but haven't produced any flowers just yet, even though they're already over a foot tall. Uh, they're in pots. I've been doing lots of peppers in previously previous years the same way, and they seem to be fine. What should I try? Um, there again, try your nutrients and then try to stress them just a little bit. Okay. Okay. So, uh, you're probably, you know, they're in containers, so you're probably watering them a lot. So just stress them just a little bit. Cause a lot of times stress will make plants want to reproduce themselves. Yes. Right. If they're, if they're doing really good, you're putting lots of nutrients on them and you're watering them a lot. So say, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to take my time to do the flowering because I don't need to because I'm just doing very good on my own. And when they were stressed a bit, that means they want to reproduce themselves because they figure, okay, I'm in a little bit of trouble. So don't go so far the other direction where yes. you're really stressing the plant <laughs> they're not going to make it, but just give them a little bit of stress and then that will usually pop the flowers out. Just a, just enough stress for them to know that it's a yeah. stressful situation, but not enough that they have yeah. a hard time. Exactly, yep. All right. Um, let's see. We have a question here from Brett in Saudi. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, I believe it's a black poplar in our yard. It's well established, about 60 feet high and trunk size about 30 inches in di- diameter or feet. I'm not sure. Uh, 60. Yep. Yeah. Uh, leaves inches. are turning brown from outer edges and falling off. Several branches seem to be affected. Could it be bronze leaf disease and does it need to be pruned or will it kill the tree if we leave it? About one third of the tree seems to be affected. Yeah, no, there, there's a lot of things happening. I've seen that a bit in some of them. Some of them is aphids. Okay. And they get an, they get an aphid gall on the edge of the leaf. You'll see a little bump right where the stem, at the end of the leaf with the stem attached to the branch. Okay. You'll get what's called a mite gall or an aphid gall on, on the end of the branch. And of course, that causes the weakness of the of those leaves, and then they'll turn brown, and they just fall off. Like I've had some people have a whole bunch of leaves on their lawn and around their area, and they have all these little bumps on on right on the stems. Mm-hmm. And so it could be an aphid gall, and uh, or it could be a minor. But the minor, you'd see black or brown patches on the leaf itself. So you really notice if it was that. But the, a lot of times, the aphid gall, you won't notice it unless you see those little growths. Um, uh, galls on on the on this little stems, so check for that. And also, a lot of times poplars too. Um, I have poplars that I have on, on the acreage where 
um, they're kind of in a spot where I can't get water to them very easy. Okay. And in hot times like this, they leaves turn yellow and they just fall off, and they just they don't they don't turn brown or nothing. They basically just turn yellow, and some of them just turn green and fall off. And that's just a, a safety mechanism it has. It's, it says, okay, I got no moisture here. I can't support all these leaves, so yeah. I'm just gonna abort them, just and drop get them. rid of them, and and it. And they and they leaf out every year, uh, you know. So it's not a broad problem. It's just a, a way of of it's self protecting itself. Just a bit of self preservation to make yep. it through different conditions. Because the poplars are big, like I said, thirty inch trunk, yeah, sixty feet tall. That's a lot of leaves to yeah. support during this heat. <laughs> so just making sure you do some deep watering with it, and uh, just to help sustain and get through this moisture, because that tree is transpiring like crazy through all those leaves. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it takes a lot of moisture to keep all those 60 feet of leaves. (laughs) Yeah, healthy and (laughs) and happy. In in this kind of heat, yes. Uh, Brett's also curious if uh, if this kind of stuff is going to be affecting his garden, uh, if if it's bugs or something, or if it's just the heat, maybe just uh, checking for moisture maybe would be a good idea. Just uh, tell people that all the time, don't, don't go on a schedule. Probe the soil and see what the moisture is down deeper, and especially those big trees mm-hmm. at the drip and the drip line of the tree. Okay, it's not right at the trunk. People think yeah. they're going to check at the trunk. There's just big roots there. The feeder roots and all the where they get the moisture and nutrients is out where the out the outer edge of the branches, and that's where the where all the feeder roots, and that's where you need to check for your moisture and uh, and then water accordingly. All right. Um, we have a question from Jeremy in Unity. Yellow onions uh, rotting. Our purple onions seem to be okay. What could I be doing wrong? Um, probably have maggots in them. So most people that have rot right now are having an, an onion maggot problem. And what you basically have to do to get rid of those is that in the spring, when you plant your crop, put a, put a crop cover over top of them. That's the best way to do it. And then you keep that crop cover on until all the dandelions have finished blooming. Okay. For about a, at least a week to, to to fourteen days after after the dandelions have all bloomed and all the early spring fl- uh, shrubs have bloomed, uh, because that's where the flies are all hanging around. And as soon as your onions pop out of the ground, planting them, that's when they go and find the onion and lay their eggs on the leaves. And then then the when the eggs hatch, they go down to the bulb. So if you can get through that early springs, they're going to go somewhere else, lay their eggs somewhere else. Yeah. So the only best way to do it is putting a crop cover over top of them, which is a white fabric. It's it's light, but it it, uh, it lets light through, it lets moisture through, but it won't let the insects through. And that's number one way of keeping them at those the, the onion maggots at bay. Okay. And 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 planting in a different location because otherwise. The flies go in the ground for the winter time. Yes. Right? That's where the what's the maggot pupates. And so if you plant them in the exact same row, while well, they're going to come up underneath your your fabric that you With your, lots your of crop food. cover. <laughs> so you don't want to do that either. So make sure you rotate your crops. Fair enough. Um, this one is coming from Andrew in Saskatoon. I have an armor cherry tree in our south facing backyard. I'm told to. I'm told it has exceeded its lifespan and what will likely have to be replaced in the next couple of years. I've successfully propagated a couple cuttings from last year from this tree. They're in pots now. Would there be any issues with cross-pollination or anything if we were to transplant a healthy 8 to 10-inch cutting away from the old one that will eventually replace it? Or am I better off to just get a different kind of shade tree? No, no, it'll be fine. I mean... 
you know, the only time the the amur cherries get a problem with is get older is what they get what I call especially the older varieties mm-hmm. is that they get frost cracked and these cracks in the trunks okay and uh, and that's a lot of times is for because of the the color of the bark and you get in march you get the you get you get warm days and chinooks and cold days and you get that that change in temperatures and then you get what call it just a just an explosion of the cells uh, from that change in temperatures in the stems so the best way to do that for for your next one is just make sure for the for the winter time, starting in basically at the end of October, just put a tree wrap around the trunk. Okay. It's a white it's a white fabric, or you can put a strips of burlap and wrap it around the trunk, just to keep the sun off the trunk. And then you take it off in in uh, basically in the middle to the end uh, end of April, and then you won't have that issue all the time, and your plant will survive. Or if you're going to plant a new one, plant one that's called a uh, Klondike Amur cherry. Okay. Or or another one that's called Ming cherry. They look very similar, but they don't. They don't. They're not susceptible to frost cracking, and they'll oh, live a lot longer. Which is very helpful in our uh, frost-prone climate. <laughs> yeah. So, Klondike or Ming, those are the cherries you want to put in. They look exactly the same, or very, very close, and yeah, way less problems. All right. Um, this one is something we were talking about a little bit earlier, so we should probably mention it. Um, they're saying I have a few perennials that I need to move. Can I do it now with it being so hot, or should I wait? If I remember right, uh, perennials we could move, but you just needed to take a bit more extra soil and make sure they were in shade. Yep, we talked about that earlier. Mm-hmm. Exactly that. I've, we've moved plants before in because we've had to, because we've done a major landscaping. Mm-hmm. And so we stick them into pots. I suggest sticking them into a pot, or if you can, so get a bigger pot and stick the whole clump of earth in a pot and put it into the shade and just give it a few days of just that, that shock in case you cut a major root. Okay. Uh, uh, so it's not out in the full sun again. And then just give it a you know a week or so in the pot, in the shade. And then you can uh, take a day when it's not quite so hot and then move it and transplant it. And it'll be fine, especially with that big clump of earth with it. Now, to get it out of that pot again, you have to be careful of taking it out of the pot or you might just have to sacrifice the pot. If you get a big nursery pot and just cut the pot off and then you can transplant that without breaking that root ball off the tree when you do it this time of the year, it'd be fine. Perfect. You just need to take a couple, a little bit of extra care, but you should be okay. Just a little bit of extra care or otherwise transplant it right where you want to do it and put an umbrella over top of it or something to shade it and okay. uh, build a little tent over top of it just to get it out of the sun for that, for that first week. And then you've got them right in the right place you want to be and there's, and you're ready to go. Perfect. We are going to take a quick break for news. If you have any questions for Rick, you can give us a call or a text at one 332 8255 You're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. This is Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME on a slightly cooler Sunday morning than the last few days we've been having. I'm here as always with Rick Van Dyvendyke from Dutch Growers. If you have a question or need a few tips to get through the extreme heat, you can give us a call or text at one 332 8255. Looks like a few more texts have been coming in through the break. So we have lots to talk about, Rick. Um, we'll start off with uh, cranberry shrubs. Uh, this is from Shirley in Saskatoon. I would like to shape or trim my cranberry shrubs. Is it okay to do that right now? Yeah, just a light shaping. Okay. In any major, do you need to trim it down in half or something like that? Okay. And wait till the plant is dormant. 
But if you're just tipping it just to, so you can fill it out more and that kind of stuff, you can do that right now. Not a problem. Just give it a good watering. And now's the time to give it one last good fertilizing. And uh, it'll put on new growth and fill out and re- look really, really good. Perfect. Uh, we seem to be having a couple of texts that are coming in sort of about a similar thing. So maybe we can just talk about lawns for a few minutes here. Um, we've had a couple of texts asking about sodding lawns right now, being that it's so hot. What should they do to make sure that they're doing, they're prepping the area right and then that yep. the lawn will grow? So prepping area is just like you would normally do with your lawn. Just prep it and keep it nice and le- make sure it's level because you don't want to be bouncing across yeah. your lawn with your lawn more. No. You know, so uh, you, it has to be nice and level. And uh, just when you when you put your sod down, make sure you use a roller or something like that so your sod gets in contact with the soil. Because if you have little ripples and, you know, you're just like having a rug with some little creases in yeah. it, right? That are, if it's nice and level and touching the ground, as long as the roots will root into the soil a lot quicker. So using a roller or something like that to roll it over just lightly uh, after you place it down and then keep it moist. Key, key is keeping it moist. With this yes. kind of heat, it'll root quick. And so it won't take long to root and uh, just a matter of keeping it down. And if you want to root quicker, just use a, a, a lawn start or a grass start fertilizer. Okay. It has a higher phosphorus in it. And whether you're seeding or turfing, you can even put it down first or put it over top of the grass afterwards. And that'll just help it root that much quicker. And, um, that's, and just keep it moist. That's the key in this kind of weather. Just keep it moist. Don't go on holidays for two weeks. And put some sod, <laughs> put some sod go to holidays for not two the weeks. best timing. No, not good timing at all. <laughs> We've also had a couple of texts just about uh, getting areas ready for seeding. So I'm assuming it's sort of a similar process: yep. keeping the area moist, maybe that thin layer of peat moss, and then just keeping an eye on things. Yeah, and just make sure when you get your sod ordered and you deliver it, mm-hmm. make sure that you have a crew that you can put it down as quick as possible. Uh, if you, cause if you grab sod, you say, oh, let's, I'm going to get sod on a Thursday yeah. or something like that. I'm going to lay it on a Sunday. Uh, though that grass in those rolls heat up really quickly. So in a few days, they'll start going moldy on you. So you want to be prepped and ready to go and then have a crew to put it down as quick as you can and get the water on it as quick as you can out after you put it down and it'll be just fine. Perfect. Um, hopefully we've covered, uh, covered all of them. But if I see a, if I see another, uh, lawn question that has a, a couple different elements, I'll let you know. Okay. <laughs> um, this one is coming from Linda in Regina. My son has two new maple trees. One is a few months, uh, one is a few months older than the other. And then the other one he got last spring. There we go. Uh, yeah. the leaves are a little bit droopy. Uh, they've been watered twice a week. Is it the heat that's maybe doing this? It looks like some of the leaves are fading a little bit too. Yeah. If they're droopy, then you're, you're, and they're new plants, you probably need to water them every, every day or every second day. So basically go out there every day and probe the soil. Mm-hmm. Okay. Stick your finger in the soil as a young plant or, you know, use that piece of rebar or whatever. And then just figure out whether what your moisture levels is. You know, once you learn your soil subsoil moisture, then then you can start going on a schedule once you learn it. But right now, with this kind of heat on um, those young plants, they don't have the roots out down into that subsoil moisture that they can yeah. actually grab the moisture that's deeper down. So you'll need with a young plant, even planted last year or this year, you'll still need to supplement, and you may have to water it once every day. And uh, but probe the soil before you do. That is what the soil moisture is like because uh, you, you 
you can't tell from the surface. You honestly can't. Yeah. You got to tell further down in the soil. And like I was telling earlier, on new plants, when you dig a hole into heavy clay, you want to also check the soil moisture that's at the bottom of that planting hole. Because when you're down, you know, 12, 16 inches down, because uh, that's the size of the root ball you had to dig down to get down, um, that, that's heavy clay and you're watering every day, you could actually be filling the bottom of the hole up from the bottom up and oh. like half the ball might be sitting in water. Yeah. The leaves will start drooping. And what do you think people think of the leaves start drooping? Must be dry. <laughs> must be dry. So I watered some more. Yeah. And so that's why, honestly, you just need, to, especially new planters, you need to probe the soil and also the root ball. So probe the soil down to the bottom of the planting hole in the topsoil you put around your plant and then probe that root ball because the root ball could, the soil around the root ball could be soaking wet and the root ball itself in this heat because the roots haven't got out yet, could be bone dry on a new planting. So you might have to supplement water just a little bit right at the trunk of the tree. Okay. So that you're just you're just hydrating that, that root ball, okay, but not the soil around it. Mm-hmm. And so th- that by sticking your finger in the soil, you can tell. Not a problem. All right. Um, we have a call coming in from Snowden. Uh, this is Peggy waiting for us. Hi there, Peggy. What's your question for Rick today? My question is, one question I have is, can I transplant roses at this time of year Um, they're only about six inches high they're just coming up from the ground okay so you're transplanting the roses if it's if it's only six inches high as long as you take a really good chunk of earth with it Uh then you could do you could do it but it's best to wait until fall or spring is the best time okay but uh but i said if you move it now if they're only that only that that high and that big uh you can move them as long as you Move them with the shovel and the clump of earth and move right. them right over to where you want to go so that you're not really making any disturbance of the roots at all. Right. Okay. Next question is, I had called in earlier this year about a rodent eating away at the base of my white birch tree. And it's only about three centimeters round. And I had it in a, a pole next to the tree and it was wrapped with some old wire. Anyway, it broke. I came into the yard one day and the tree was bent right over. Like there's no strength it seems in the in the trunk at all. Hmm. Is that normal? No, nope, not normal at all. So the rodent did it? Did it? Um, did it uh, no, the only thing did you tie anything around the trunk? Um, I at did when it was smaller, but okay, it, did, it, yeah, it didn't leave any marks or anything. Okay, didn't leave any marks. Okay, because sometimes if you girdle the trunk, you weaken the outside of the branch, and then you get a wind or something like that, it just blows over. Okay, right. So, but also if the if the rodent had chewed just below the soil line, like if it was a vole or something like that, then that would cause weakness of the trunk as well, right? Right. Um, so if it's just did the whole roots and everything go over, or did it just break off when it fell over? No, it didn't break. It just it just bends right over. And then I when I I straightened it out and used a yep. foamy kind of rope yep. to tie it to yep. the post again. Yeah. So no, that that's fine. I mean, a lot of times, uh, even in the fields, with uh, what type of tree was it again? A white birch. The white birch. Yeah, I know the birches. They, they when they're younger and the stem is smaller, they are weaker. Like in the fields, I stake all my birches. Okay. And so I usually stake them for the first two years in the fields, and then they're, after that, they're fine. They don't need to be staked anymore. The stakes can be taken off. Okay. 
All right. Yeah, that, for birch, that's normal. Yep. Okay. Thank you very much. Oh, okay. Thanks, Peggy. Bye-bye. Bye now. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll get to Annette, who's waiting for us on hold here, and more of your texts and questions on Garden Talk, 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Here with Rick Van Dyvendijk from Dutch Growers. You're listening to Garden Talk. We have a few minutes left in the show and looks like you're going to be keeping us busy with your questions. Uh, we have a couple people waiting on the phone line, so we'll jump right in with Annette in Regina. Hi there, Annette. What's your question for Rick today? Hi. Uh, Rick, I have uh, 25 pots of flowers and vegetables on my deck, <laughs> and I feed them alfalfa tea. Yep. And it smells like poo. <laughs> and needless to say, the flies love it. And yeah, so what what you need to do is just work up the soil with your fingers a little bit. Mm-hmm. So and then uh, what you what you can do so it doesn't smell like that so much is that are you straining are you straining out your alfalfa tea as you pour it out? Well, I mix it really well. Yeah. And but it always will, will always be a pulp, right? Right. And and so if you can strain it, like use a paint strainer or anything like that, right? Cheesecloth. And if you can just strain it through so you don't get all that pulp, then you won't get the smell so bad. I like I, I put I put a bunch in a five hundred gallon tank and I watered all my trees, but then with the two inch hose there's a lot of pulp coming out, right? When you put yeah. 50, 50 pounds of a velvet pellets in the tank. Oh. And uh and so uh, then, it, yeah, you did have a bit of a smell to it at, at, for a while until until I did a few more waterings, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, if you strain it, okay. So like I said, run it run it through a paint strainer. Uh, you can pick it up for paint, paint, you know, like a like a paint strainer, or you can, you know, if if you want, you can get a. If you're doing it all the time, you get one of those, you know, like a like the containers that you you rinse your lettuce in and that kind of stuff, and just have it for doing alfalfa pellets, right? Uh-huh. And just some way of just straining the pulp out, and uh, then you can work that pulp into another garden area or something like that. But if on your pots, you'll have way less smell if you don't put the pulp in. Well, what I did was I took it off my plastic cups off the top that I couldn't stir in, and yep. then I threw it out. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, but I'll maybe move the dirt around a bit. Just just stir the dirt up a bit, and it'll it'll help do that quite a bit. But the, but straining it will make a big difference. And also for every fourteen days to give it the tea. Yep, that'll work perfect. Thank you very much. Thank okay, you. You're welcome. Okay. Bye bye. Bye now. All right, we have uh, Eileen waiting for us in Edom. Hi there, Eileen. What's your question for Rick? Yeah, I gotta get some fiber in my soil because it gets too compacted. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was wondering if I could use sawdust. Sawdust works good as well as it's been composted for a bit, because fresh sawdust actually eats a lot of nutrients out of your soil. Okay, to break it down. Okay. So if you compost your sawdust a bit first, if you know if you got compost sticking in a sticking in your in your soil comp in your compost bin or compost pile, and mix yep. it with leaves, mix it with leaves, a little bit of dirt, everything else, and it breaks it down very quickly. Like I used, I used sawdust for my compost in my in my pots, right? When I'm growing growing tree shrubs and that in pots, but yeah. I, when I bring it, when I bring my sawdust from the mills, I get the golden sawdust, 
that's been in the pile for a while. I don't get the fresh stuff that just came out of the mill. I get the stuff that's been there for a bunch of years. And oh, the golden okay. stuff is works really well. And so um, that, that's what you want. You use the sawdust perfectly. Uh, just make sure that you uh, compost it a bit first and turn it a bit so that it's not all just white, you know, and uh, it just ends up eating a lot of nutrients. It takes a lot of nutrients away before it adds. But, but the sawdust will help definitely break up your clay particles. Okay. Thank you very much. You're Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we have a couple of texts that we'll get through before uh, we end the show for the week. Uh, we'll start off with Jane texting in. When is the best time to harvest fall planted garlic? How long does it have to cure before it can be planted again? Um, basically, we do garlic. We start doing garlic in September. Okay. So um, that's that's about the time you want to either move them or transplant them. Same thing with your lily bulbs and that kind of stuff. You know, right now the, the the tops are starting to wither down, so you want to mark where they are so you can find them. Yes. <laughs> and then uh, so you know where they are, and then and then basically in the beginning of September, you can transplant them, and they'll root back in again for the next year. Perfect. Uh, this one is coming from Haley. I'm out fishing on a kayak this morning. I wanted to ask Rick on Garden Talk. Uh, I have some tomatoes on five-gallon pails on my patio. How often yep. should I be watering them? Uh, they are starting to produce some pl- uh, some tomatoes and full-on flowers. Yeah, just bottom, bottom line, take your index finger, stick it into the soil as far as it can go. If it feels, if it feels moist, don't water it. If it feels dry... Uh, then water it and make sure that those hopefully those five gallon pails have drainage holes in the bottom of them. Yeah. Otherwise, that pail will just fill up from the bottom. You got to be careful of that too. So, um, but yeah, just make sure the drainage holes. And then, bottom line, instead of me telling you how much water or when, just stick your index finger in as far as you can. And if you feel moisture, don't water it. All right. The plants will tell you what they want. The, the, absolutely. All right. Um, next one is. I'm wondering when I can prune my Malice Thunderchild cherry tree. Uh, the Thunderchild is a flowering crab, but you can prune it light pruning now. But otherwise, I do my major pruning when it's dormant. So I do it in uh, in basically um, starting in in October when the leaves start turning color. And then I'll do it in October, November, or otherwise I'll do it in March or the first week in April. Okay. Uh, do pruning, but if you're just doing some light pruning, uh, you can do that right now. It's 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 only if you're doing some major branches that I like doing in the dormant period. But light pruning, just some odd branches here and there. Yeah, you can do it anytime now. Okay, perfect. Um, this one is coming from Jeanette in Regina. I was wondering if you could tell me how I could winter my clematis plant, which I planted in a pot and it's blooming beautifully. Okay, if you planted a pot, you're going to need to bury that pot and all into the soil okay. uh, in uh, basically late October. Um, so enjoy the flowers right now, but it won't survive in the pot above the ground. So you have to bring it into a place where it stays about zero to minus five okay. indoors. Or otherwise, if you don't have that situation, bury the pot and all. Don't put a plastic bag around it or anything else. If you want to keep the pot, if you have it in a nice pot, put some uh, paper around the pot or something to protect the pot. But if you put plastic, it'll stop the heat from the ground coming in and uh, pr- and protecting the roots. So you just want to, um, and then, then bury the pot and all, and then throw some peat moss or some bark mulch up around it, uh, about a foot high around the plant. And then next spring, take the pot out and put it out back out where you want it again. Not a problem. 
All right. And this one will probably be our last one on air. Uh, Kevin in Saskatoon. I can't seem to grow radishes in my garden. Every year I plant them in different areas, but the plant grows uh, normal, but the radishes just never produce. I have planted in partial sun, full sun. Nothing's working. What can I try? Yeah. Um, one thing you can do, too, is that when you do radishes or lettuce and those kind of things, mm-hmm. um, sometimes it depends on the, on, on the temperature when you see them. So I'm saying take your row that you want to plant and only plant 25% at a time one first week, plant another 25% the next week, and 25% the third week and fourth week because they grow pretty quickly, okay? Yeah. So it has to do a lot with temperature and the time of the year you plant them. So spread out your – take that – if you're going to plant 10 feet – Take 25% of it and take a week apart to plant it, and then you'll have way better success. Um, and that's the number one thing is, is temperature when you when you plant it. And, and when you just spread it out like that, you always will get a good crop. Perfect. And that brings us to the end of the show for the week. Thank you so much for joining us again and sending us all your questions and uh, giving us a few tips this time around. <laughs> You've been listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.